over here to find your teacher and, and go to children's worship this morning. The rest of us, we're going to be taking a look this morning at the Gospel of, of John, and it's this account uh, from the, the first century uh, A.D. as, as the, one of those folks who walked with Jesus retold the stories. Um, and one of the things that you realize pretty quick as you go through these stories is that Jesus didn't like to be uh, put in a box, right? Like every single story, he does something that... It just kind of seems like he's he's marching to the beat of, of his own drum, right? Like he announces his coming kingdom by by making 150 gallons of wine at a at a party, right? He he goes to Passover and he starts flipping tables. Like he's never doing the things he's supposed to do, uh, according to uh, to polite standards or to the norms that that we would envision. And this morning he doesn't exactly follow the way we think he ought to act. Either. So if you want to follow along with me, we're going to start in the uh, chapter 2 at the very end, verse 23 of chapter 2, and, and read through the first half of chapter 3. Now when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from the heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, 
so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. Father, we pray this morning as we uh, scratch our heads and we ponder and we think about what it is that you were speaking to this man, Nicodemus, what it is that you were trying to shape and mold in him. God, the, the, the idea of what real life is. God, I pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts this morning, that we might know you, that we might know the life that comes in you, and God, that we might be with you for eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know uh, a lot of, we have a lot of doctors in our midst this morning, um, but for the rest of us, I don't know if your experience of doctors is the same, but one thing that I'm noticing as I go to more and more doctors in life is that sometimes their conception of what the standard of life that you want to live is very different than the standard of life you want to pick for yourself. Right, a lot of times their notion of what you ought to be doing in your life is very different from the kind of life that you think you ought to live. Um, I'll give you just uh, a quick example of this. You know, about a year and a half ago, I uh, finally decided, okay, the doctors probably know what they're doing. And so I go and get a physical, and they run all my numbers. And um, he was really mean and told me I had celiac disease, but that's a whole other story. The, he also looked at, at you know, my cholesterol levels and was like, the ratio isn't just right. He's like, you really need to, uh, you really need to eat fish. And I was like, yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't really like fish. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, I just, I just, I know it's kind of strange, but I just don't ever want to eat fish. He's like, how about twice a week? I was like, no, 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 I, I don't ever, I'm not going to eat fish. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's like, what about salmon? I was like, no, no, I'm not going to eat fish, okay? This is not the life that I want for myself, right? There's a, a, a hilarious little bit by uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan where he talks about doctors being the most respected people that we never listen to, right? He's like, unless we're sick, we listen to absolutely nothing that the doctors tell us. And it's, it's pretty true, right? Like, uh, how many of you uh, wear the, your retainer, right, that you were supposed to wear after you had your braces? You know, how long did you keep that up for, right? You know, uh, if you, those of you who have the, the stretches you're supposed to do to loosen up your back every day, how faithful, right? How you doing? Uh, right, we could go on and on. How much the weight, the pounds you're supposed to lose, the exercise routine you're supposed to keep, uh, you know, are you keeping up with your flossing, right? Their notion of what you ought to do every single day is somehow very disconnected from the life that, that you want to lead, the routine that you uh, want to do. As we come to this uh, story in John, this is, it's a fascinating thing. The story starts with this little, like, narrator coming on stage before the actors come out on the play, right? And, and he tells us uh, a little bit of, of what we're about to see. 
He tells us that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, that there was many who believed in his names because they, they could see his, his MD certificate up on the wall, right? They could see his diplomas. They could see his credentials. They could see these miraculous things that he was doing. And they thought, okay, maybe I should at least hear this guy out. But when they went to listen to Jesus, when they watched what Jesus was doing, when they tried to conceive of the life that Jesus was proclaiming, they weren't at all convinced. And they weren't at all uh, ready to, to buy in on what he was selling. And Jesus, knowing himself what was in a man, it says, does not entrust himself to him. These people come to Jesus, they rub shoulders with Jesus, and they give an ear to what he has to say, but Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. They're rubbing shoulders with Jesus, but they don't get the life of Jesus after that interaction. As we come to this morning, and as we look at this interchange that we're about to look at between Jesus and Nicodemus, I think that we ought to be looking very carefully. I think we ought to be looking very carefully that, that we're not trying to buy something from Jesus that he isn't selling, that we're not trying to get a, a style of life from Jesus that, that is not what his plan is for us, that we are listening and that we're looking and that we're ready to be changed. Because if we're not listening and we're not looking, we might just miss the life he has for us. So we're going to look at three things. Uh, what do we learn about the life of Christ? What does it mean to live life in Christ, live life with Christ, to live life to its fullest, as John will tell us later? And I want to talk about three things this morning. And the first of these is that this life is completely new. It's a different pattern than what has come before. The story tells us of uh, a man, Nicodemus, and we know only just the fewest little details about this man's life, right? We know that, that he is a uh, relig religious leader, right? A, a leader of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin. He is, a, uh, he is a, an Israelite of Israelites. He is one who has known the ways of God, and he has heard and he has seen of the works of Jesus, I don't know what it was that made him, that drove him to go seek out Jesus, to go find Jesus in the middle of the night. I don't know if it was uh, that as a leader he thought it was his duty to go listen and to hear, to go test the waters of who this new rabbi was and, and what he was teaching and what he was doing. Perhaps there was something in his own life that, that the stories of Jesus and his miraculous deeds and his words of compassion and his healings, it, it tricked something into Nicodemus's heart and he thought, I'm missing something. I don't know. I don't know if he went to Jesus in the night because uh, he was embarrassed to be seeking counsel from Jesus. Maybe he was going there to protect Jesus or maybe he was going just because he couldn't fall asleep and he had to get an answer to what he was looking for. But as he comes to Jesus with intrigue, he comes to Jesus and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
He praises Jesus. He submits himself to Jesus' rules. He says, teacher, teach me. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's a bizarre phrase, right? Like it's if you've been around the church, you've heard this, this passage enough times that maybe it doesn't seem as bizarre to you, right? But the, the metaphor itself is bizarre, right? As you can see, Nicodemus is scratching his head. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Born again? And more than likely, when Jesus was saying this, he, he actually was saying, you must be born from on high. If you are actually looking at a a, a Bible, you'll see a footnote there that says it's the same Greek word, could be used in multiple different ways, kind of. There's not an English compar- uh, parallel exactly, but, you know, um, like you might say, uh, let's try it again from the top, right? You would From the top means let's do it again, right? But from the top could also mean, like, come down, right? It's more than likely what Jesus was saying was, is you must be born, you must have a life that is given from above, a life that comes from heaven. But Nicodemus is so confused, and this, this language is so bizarre that he's trying to process, what does he mean? And, and he comes up with, you must be born again. And you can hear his bizarre confusion in his, his reply back, right? Well, wait, like, are you suggesting I'm supposed to crawl back up inside my mom and come out of give it another whirl, right? It's bizarre. He's confused. He doesn't know what's happening. And the question is, is why doesn't he understand what's happening? Is it just that the metaphor is bizarre, or is there something else there? I kind of have a a hunch that that maybe the born again uh, may have to do with the fact that Jesus is telling him how to access the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus might have come to Jesus with a hundred questions, but one of them probably was not, how do I gain access to the kingdom of heaven? Because in Nicodemus' mind, he's already there. He's a religious leader of the people of God. He is the one who knows the law of God. He is the one who is in the prime position. He is the one who knows the ways of God. He is the one who is devout in his religious expression. And so to, to come... Have someone come and tell him how to access the kingdom of God is is not even something that's on his agenda, right? It's like somebody going to LeBron James and saying, here's how I think you can make a name for yourself in the NBA, right? It's like, I've been there. I've done that. I've proved myself, right? I don't need to, to get access to that question. Three times, Nicodemus tries to figure out what on earth Jesus is is talking about. Three times he asks the questions, and by the end of it, he just says, how can these things be? You're speaking a different language. We're talking about, we're speaking the same language, but you're, it's as if we're talking in different languages, right? It's, we're, we're 100% missing each other, and I think that that confusion comes from the way that Nicodemus approaches Jesus. Like Jesus is the secret sauce to add to his recipe he already knows, right, of how to access the kingdom of God. That he understands what a life pleasing to God is, and and maybe Jesus has something to add to it. Maybe Jesus has something to correct in him. Maybe Jesus has a, a refinement that he can make. Jesus is supposed to be the secret sauce to add to his delicious meal he's already prepared. And Jesus says, 
you were, we got to wipe the slate clean. You can't access the kingdom of God. You, religious ruler, you, person who knows all the answers, you can't access the kingdom of God unless you're born again from above, unless a new life is given to you. Obviously, I'm, I'm speculating on why Nicodemus thought that Jesus could just add to his life. But I think we have a better uh, notion if we look at ourselves. Many of us, whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever, your conception of what life in Christ is, what it means to be a Christian is, is that you, you come to Christ and he makes your life, he takes your life as it is and he makes it just a little bit better. He enhances it. He, he adds the secret sauce to your life so that things go better. And, and now if you're a, a religious person that, and, and an unreligious person, those things might be differently, right? You might define those differently. For some of us who are raised in church, uh, for Jesus to come in to be the, the secret sauce in our lives is that he tells us how to live morally better, right? How to, how to get rid of those last few impure thoughts, right? How to, um, how to control that, the burning of anger that, that, that splits out in fights in your home. For others of us, we, we come to Jesus and, and, and we're curious. We're curious if, if Jesus could make our life a, a little bit more pleasurable. Right? If it would give us a group of people that we could be with and, and be known by, right? that it brings us a community that we could embrace and be embraced, it's a community that could heal our loneliness. We think, uh, here, Jesus, this is a Jesus that brings 150 gallons of wine to a wedding. Maybe this guy's not so bad after all. Right? He lets me do what I want to do, and I can go the other way. But what Jesus is saying as he comes to this text, as he comes to Nicodemus, as he says, when I come into your life, it is an entirely new. It is a replacement of the old. You can see there in verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is human is human, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus didn't come into the world to make you a slightly better version of yourself. He came into the world to make you a new person. Over the last few weeks, we've talked of, of things in the life of Christ that are uh, in the lives of, of all humans, whether you're a believer or not believer, that are allusions to the life of Christ. But what Jesus is telling uh, to Nicodemus is all you have is the illusions. You've not yet experienced the newness. This is not an a improvement project, right? This is a, a rebuild project. This is tear it down and start from the beginning, and you'll see those hints of beauty that used to be in the old building will be magnified and will be glorified when they're fit with the right fixtures and, and with the right finishes and with the right paint color. You'll see those things that you once thought were beautiful in their old context. You'll see them in a far greater and more beautiful way. But to see that, we have to stop trying to, to build additions on what's already falling over. Stop trying to, to take just enough Jesus to add sauce, uh, a little hot sauce to our, our pasta, right? Add a little flavor to, to our mixture and realize that what we need 
is not someone to make us a little less angry, but to someone to give us a new heart, a new passion, new priorities. But Jesus doesn't come just to Nicodemus with the promise of something that is, is a life that is new instead of uh, a slightly improved one. He tells him of a life that is completely unreachable. He tells him of a kind of life that he cannot access by himself. He's telling him of a life that's on the very top shelf, and he's saying, Nicodemus, you're two feet tall. I don't know uh, what your experience is with childbirth, uh, but mine is minimal. But I have watched this process three times. Um, I didn't get permission to share any of the details of what happened. But I'll just say I was on the front row, and it's a pretty miraculous uh, thing that happened. But one of the things that never happened in any of the three times I watched this process go down, the kids never did a darn thing to help the thing go, right? I watched three kids come out of a very small hole, and not once, not once did that baby do a little pull out from the, from the, 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 the bottom. I'm in big trouble here. I'm in deep trouble. This is where going unscripted, it gets you in real trouble here. But you get the point, right? That birth, that birth, that birth does not happen because the child is trying to. When we hear Jesus, and you will hear uh, people holding up John 3.16 on their postcards, right? And you will talk about uh, that you must be born again. And many, many, many believers have heard those words like they're a command. You must be born again. But that makes about as much sense as crawling back into your mom and being birthed a second time. You can't, being born is a passive act. Being born is something that the baby has nothing to do with. Being born is what the mother does to the child, right? It doesn't make any sense to say you must be born again as if that is something that, that is put on you. What he's making is a declaration of a change that must occur before you can see the truth. Of what life is. Before you can live in the world, you must be born anew. Even after the kids are born, right? They're, you're, you're trying to let them live a life and they're all slippery and slimy and, and they're flailing about and screaming bloody murder, right? They do nothing, literally nothing to help this process go right. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is just like so confused. There's at least two different things going on in this text where he's saying, not just that Nicodemus doesn't get it, but that Nicodemus can't get it, right? And, and the first of these, uh, I think this is a technical turn, is that Nicodemus, like you, is a spiritual nincompoop, okay? Uh, he's, a, he's a spiritual idiot, and I don't mean that condescendingly. I mean like that's true of everyone, right? When you look at the text in, in verse 8, Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and when you hear it sound, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. They don't understand it. They can't produce it. They, don't, uh, they just feel the effects of it. Verses 11 and 12 uh, I, Jesus basically says, um, I'm telling you about the earthly thing and you can't understand, much less 
could you ever possibly understand the heavenly realities? Elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us uh, that the unspiritual man can't discern the things of the Spirit for they're spiritually discerned. You can't understand the life of Christ until God, by His Holy Spirit, allows you to see it. Your spiritual nincompoop. But the second thing comes at the end of this passage in, in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. The, thing, the problem with your inability to access the life of Christ, the inability of you to be able to reach it off the top shelf, is because you don't want to reach it off the top shelf. You, by yourself, are like the rest of mankind. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The offer of life that Jesus comes and, and it has been portrayed to us repeatedly in John as a, a the metaphor is, is that light has been shown in darkness, but what Jesus is saying, the account that Jesus is saying is that man and woman, by ourselves, we are creatures of the dark. And every creature of the dark that has a light shown on them hunts and runs to the corner because they think in the light will be their greatest shame. They think if the light shines on them, they will be blinded, that they will be unable to live the life that they want. They think light is the enemy and so... We run. We want to create a, a, a life that, that it, we're comfortable with. We want to create a life that, that operates the way we think the world ought to operate. But Jesus comes in and he shines a great big spotlight. So not only can man not understand the things of God because he's not God, he can't understand the things of God because he's looking the other way. But here's the turning point of this whole passage comes in verse 13. Jesus has said to Nicodemus, you must uh, have this thing happen to you that you can't do for yourself. You must consider a life that you can't even conceive of. But then he comes to this, chap this verse in, in, in verse 13 where he says, No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from the heaven, the Son of Man. The life of God, the life which he's proclaiming is unreachable. It's on the top shelf. You can't access it, but it is attainable. All the time I tell my kids, they come and they're weeping and, and gnashing of teeth, right? And they're, I can't get the lid off of my whatever, right? I can't, get I can't have breakfast. I can't have lunch. And I, I say, why can't you do that? They're like, I can't reach. I'm not strong enough. I can't get the lid off. It's broken. And I said, but, but you have somebody who knows how to help you. What do you do if you have someone who knows how to help you? You can gain access to the life, but you first have to come and ask. Verse 13 has, up to this point, Jesus has told Nicodemus, there is no hope and there is no way for you to access real life. But in verse 13, he says, but there is someone, there is a way there's a person tall enough to reach the top shelf, right? The one who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And 
then Jesus goes real bizarre and pulls a real obscure Old Testament story into the midst. This story of the, of, of the Israelites who, who uh, had been neglecting and rejected the gifts of God, the food, the water, the provisions that God had given them, and, and a, a curse of snakes has been set upon them, and they are being bitten, and they are dying, and, and Jesus tells Moses, lift up this snake above the people. And the people who have been bitten, the people who now understand that they are about to die, the people who know that they can do nothing to save their own life, will look up at that snake, lift it up above them, and they will be healed. And he compares himself to that, that the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever can't get the life for themselves, whoever knows and understands that they are falling and that they are dead, whoever the God has shown to them that there is life only in him, they can look and they can see and they can taste new life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, whoever sees, looks to him for life shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to tell them that they can't get life, but to tell them that they can. That there is life in him. I bring this up because I think this may be one of the ways that whether you don't believe in Christ or whether you do believe in Christ, we misconceive the life of Christ for. Right, time and time and time again, uh, we live in a place where we are either telling ourselves, I'm not good enough for life in Christ, or we're telling ourselves that I am good enough for life in Christ. And both of those two positions, both saying I'm a good person and saying I'm not a good enough person, are doubting and disbelieving what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's, when he says this is a life that is unreachable for you, it must be given to you. And whether you're a, a, a believer who, who wrestles with the shame of the life, the things you've done in your life that you know you ought not to do, the things in your life that, that you've trusted and hoped for, things that you know don't bring Uh, life that Jesus does and you hide in shame because you think I'm not good enough to come to the table you are denying the God who says I will feed you at the table I will bring you forgiveness I will bring you healing I will bring you hope if you're the person who comes to the table though who says I am a good person I have Uh, done the things that I need to do to gain life. If we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we just need you to put a little hot sauce on our dish, you won't find any at this table. Because Jesus wants to be the whole meal. Jesus wants a life that is completely unreachable to you, but has been freely given to you. I've never known a, a single Christian who didn't on a day-to-day basis, wrestle with those two polar opposites. Wrestle with thinking that they're not good enough for God or thinking that they are good enough for God, but both deny that you have a God who has given life, a life that is unreachable to you. Third, 
Uh, and finally, this life that Jesus proclaims to Nicodemus uh, is a fruitful life. Uh, probably one of the most confusing parts when you uh, look at John 3.16 or when you hear these things and, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And you're like, well, you just told me that, that God is, is taking me a place that I don't understand. And he's, the way that I get there is, is, is something I can't control by myself. So what on earth am I supposed to do? I don't know where I'm going or how I'm supposed to get there. You said both of those things are entirely done by God himself. And yet, clearly, the Bible expects that, that a new birth leads, leads to new life, right? That a birthing process ends in a living, breathing, acting human in the world, right? And the same is true spiritually. Jesus expects that once the people uh, have looked to the one who descended from heaven, once the people have looked to the snake lifted in the desert, that they would be able to respond in faith. The biblical picture of fruit, I'm using this word fruit, it's not in the text, but it's, a, it's a one that we, we hear commonly in the, in the Gospels and, and throughout the Bible, right? And when you think about the, the fruit of the Christian life, the way we talk about that in church, uh, it's the things that, that happen in your life that are, are good things, right? The, the service you do to others, the forgiveness that you offer when someone hurts you. Right, the, the patience you have with the person who is struggling and, and complaining, right? The, the worship that you do and you offer to God, these are the, the fruits. But when you think about fruit, right, the fruit is the thing that determines whether that tree is alive or dead, right? But the tree does nothing to produce the fruit in itself. Right? The, whether a tree produces fruit or not is entirely dependent on the kind of tree, the kind of seed that it is, the, the ground and the nourishment, the water that it's given. And so the, the fruit uh, that comes from knowing Jesus, from the question that we're asking is, is uh, what does this life even mean if I don't do any of it? But one of the things that it should strike you, whether you're a believer or not a believer, is that this transformation is, is possible and that this transformation leads to a different pattern of life. In theology, we, we would use the things that I've talked about thus far and we'd put them in this category, we call them regeneration, right? And there's this other word that's called conversion. That is, we respond to God in faith and repentance. And the fruit uh, of those things, that you respond to God and you understand your spiritual need of him. You look at God and you uh, repent of the patterns of life that are death to the people of God, to death to your spiritual life, and you say, I want none of that. And what the pattern of what God is doing, the, the, the life that Jesus is describing to Nicodemus is that this new birth, this transformation occurs in you, but it necessarily happens first. When God enters into your life and he produces the, the desire to know him, it produces a longing to, to find him, to find what brings real life, it opens your eyes to a spiritual need and to his cleansing blood. It gives you faith. 
when God enters into the story and when God proclaims to you uh, a forgiveness of your sins, it allows you to see the light not as your enemy, but as the healing balm, the, the balm that you run to, the balm that you hide in because it is there that you find life. The regeneration, this new birth that God gives you happens once, but it is an everyday response to that new life that we as believers live when we confess our sins and confess them speedily. It is an everyday response to the beauty and to the glory of what God has done that, that drives us to look to him as our life and not an accent to our life. Right, It is uh, the understanding of how God changes us that leads us to be able to say, uh, like it does in verse 21, that whoever does what is true, whoever has fruit in their life, comes to the light so that it be, may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You can't get to the fruit by trying to make it. But when you see the fruit, you can see what God has worked in us. And so our response as believers, as our response as those who have heard and believed, and your response if you've not believed, is really the same. To look at the life that the Son of Man is offering, to look at the life, to wonder at its amazement, and to long that God would bring that fruit more and more in your life. It does you no good to go through your life pretending that you've been changed. And that's a pretty big problem in churches. Going through life pretending like you've got that sin nipped in the bud, right? To go through life pretending like you uh, have a, a desire to worship when your heart feels dark and cold. To go through life pretending like you care about the story the, the person's telling you about when you really couldn't care less. There's a lot of ways that we can pretend that your life has been changed instead of looking at the beauty of what God has done. Longing to see the fulfillment of that fruit being born out in your life and being amazed at who he is. You know, it's funny, the text ends and uh, it never tells us how Nicodemus responds. The last thing we heard from Nicodemus was him saying, well, how can these things even be? The text doesn't tell us what conversation happened after this, if any at all. Maybe Nicodemus turned around and went home. Maybe they stayed up even later into the night talking about what this looked like or, or what it meant. And we might come to this text and, and equally be scratching our heads and not sure how to respond, but this is the hope. Nicodemus will pop up again in the Gospel of John in two different times, the last of which is when he joins with a man named Joseph of Arimathea, and they took the body of, of Jesus and brought the spices and the balms and the wrappings, and they took him down from the cross and carried him to the tomb and, and laid him there. I don't know if Nicodemus' perception of Jesus changed in the process. Maybe he was just being a, a good guy doing a stand-up thing. 
But I know that the God who he carried in his arms would rise again. I know that the God who, who came that Nicodemus went to meet with in the night was the kind of God who brings about transformation in life that they could see what real life is. And so the hope, the great hope of this passage is that Nicodemus would hear, that he would know, that he would believe that his life could only be found in Christ. The great hope is that the one who comes in the darkness of night would leave in the light of God's salvation. And that's the hope of our hearts this morning as well. That God would change us that he would take what we bring in darkness and turn it into his glorious light pray with me god we pray this morning uh, as people who are slow to change who are slow to believe that our life uh, needs to be made new slow to believe that that we can be changed slow to believe that this salvation you've offered us is really truly real that it matters for the way we do our life that it matters for who we are as your people father god i pray that you would give us the faith to see you god i pray that you would give us the repentance of a life that that follows after it god i pray that you would help us to understand the depths and the magnitude of your love for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we respond in song.